thank you for abiding with us in that special prayer. I will ask you to open your Bible now to John chapter 5, verses 19 through 47. Hopefully you went ahead and did that when I gave you a heads up earlier because we're going to jump right into it. The words will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look at them there or there may be one there in front of you uh, in one of the pew Bibles. But John chapter 5, verses 19 to 47, as we continue our series through the Gospel of John, I've titled this message, Like Father, Like Son. If you'll stand for the reading of God's word as we give reverence to him and attention to his voice. Listen to the word of the Lord. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life, uh, gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He who does not come in, uh, he who does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. As he has given him authority to execute judgment, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear... I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works of the Father he has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. 
For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you for your true and living word as always and open it with expectation. You have something to say to us in it, Lord, not only for our heads, but for our hearts, our spirits, Lord, all of our beings. God, would you speak what we need to hear? So speak, Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory and move me out of the way as always. And maybe especially today, Lord, move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument for your glory and our good in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Probably all of us have had an experience at one time or another that left us saying it was all just a big misunderstanding, right? You've had those kind of experiences. We were confused. It was all just a big misunderstanding. And in many cases, that big misunderstanding turned out to be of little consequence, right? It, it, just, it wasn't necessarily a big deal. In some cases, it could be actually quite costly. In many cases, not. Well, I think uh, we could say without question that the biggest misunderstanding, the most consequential misunderstanding that any person on the face of the earth could have is a misunderstanding about who Jesus is. That big misunderstanding is a huge misunderstanding. If what, if what he says about himself is true, the most important thing we can know on all the earth is who he is and what he's done to understand that correctly. And so a big understanding about who Jesus is is a terrible misunderstanding. And one common misunderstanding that's recurred throughout church history is that Jesus is very different from the God of the Old Testament. And there may be some here even who today who maybe not so consciously, but you're just inclined to think this way. You maybe didn't even realize it or don't realize it till I start talking about it. But uh, people think Jesus is very different from the God of the Old Testament. And we don't necessarily understand how. There's a, there's a lot. We, we haven't figured out how to make sense of all that Old Testament stuff. But, but somehow the God of the Old Testament is different from Jesus. Uh, the Old Testament God was mean and judgmental. Jesus is nice and forgiving. By the way, that's a misunderstanding. Okay. So if, you, if, you're, if, if, if you're sort of coming, if your ears are in and out with me, uh, you're going to miss some important things here. That's a misunderstanding to say the Old Testament God was mean and judgmental and Jesus is nice and forgiving. It is true that there's different emphasis um, in the Old and New Testaments about the nature of God. There is more emphasis on the holiness, righteousness, and moral justice uh, of God in the Old Testament. But God is still loving and patient and gracious in the Old Testament. So much so that he doesn't destroy people. For their sin. He doesn't destroy his people. He remains gracious and patient for the sake of his covenant, that he, the keeping his promise that he made with, to redeem his people, that he's long suffering and uh, preserves a remnant of his people by his grace, so that, as Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. That God 
who some think of as just mean and judgmental, was exceedingly gracious to be patient until the fullness of time came and he sent forth the son. And then it's true that there's more emphasis in the New Testament on the love and grace and kindness of Jesus, right? But he is still holy and righteous and just, so much so that he, Jesus, is the one who will judge the world. We just read that at least twice in the passage that I read aloud. But this misunderstanding about who Jesus is uh, persists, and we see one version of it or another in every generation and really in every culture, as everybody who's heard anything about Jesus has to decide, what do I make of him? What do we make of him? What do we do with Jesus? And it is all too common that, that so many people in one way, shape, or form put him in the category of being just a good moral teacher. In the contemporary age, the, you know, the, the, the version of that right now is that um, Jesus is all about the social justice concerns that so many in our world uh, are concerned about. You know, he's sort of woke Jesus, and, um, and, and he's good in that respect, but he's just that. He's just, a, he's just another version of a, go, a good moral teacher in the minds of lots of people. But in reality, Jesus is just like his father. Jesus is not different from the God we uh, know of in the, in the Old Testament. He's not different from God the Father in any respect. He is just like his father. Hence the title of the message, Like Father, Like Son. And that's the point that Jesus makes in this whole second half of John chapter 5. You'll recall, perhaps, if you were here last week, um, that in the previous passage, John had healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. And he did it on a Sabbath, and that upset the Jewish leaders. I mean, the height of hypocrisy. How dare he do good to somebody on the Sabbath day? You know, how just absurd uh, that is. But they were upset about that because he had done it on the Sabbath, and they saw this man carrying his his bed on the Sabbath, and they called him out. And when they later found out it was Jesus who healed him, they um, opposed him because he was healing on the Sabbath. But then when Jesus basically said, oh, it's worse than that. <laughs> uh, my father is working, and I'm working. And then they got outraged because he was making himself, calling God his father, making himself equal with God, it says in verse 18. And so they were seeking then to kill him. Do you remember that? It went from persecuting, from healing on the Sabbath, to wanting to kill, kill him because he was making himself equal with God, they said. And that claim that they made, that he was making himself equal with God, at that moment, it's either true or it's not. And uh, you'll, you'll notice that the, really the rest of chapter 5, again, is Jesus' response to that reaction. And he doesn't in any way say, no, that's not what I meant. You know, this happens all the time in our, in our day and age, right? Uh, like if, if Jesus were alive now and have 12 disciples, one of them would want to be his PR guy, his public relations guy that manages his social media account. You know, he's posting good images about him and stories and that kind of thing. And, and, um, and if he says something offensive, you know, they might want to put out a message that just sort of softens that a little bit. Well, that's not what quite what Jesus meant. I mean, Jesus does nothing of the sort among the Pharisees. It happens now with, you know, public, uh, uh, public officials or celebrities and that kind of thing, right? People say something, 
And then the public reaction, the media reaction, or just the public reaction on social media is everybody's outraged and offensive and, and that, uh, offended or whatever. And so they, they want to they wanna sort of walk, walk it back a little bit, right? And they say, you know, put out some kind of message that says, well, uh, I was taken out of context. That's not really what I meant. Or um, I, 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 I spoke a little... Uh, I spoke a little in haste and it didn't really communicate what I meant to communicate or even sometimes where it's just something they said seven years ago that all of a sudden today is uh, just so terribly offensive that they, they, they need to be canceled for it entirely. And so they go back and say, oh, well, yeah, I'm so, I'm so ashamed that I uh, was so unenlightened seven years ago, but I've learned so much since then and uh, I'm a good guy now. You know, there's all kinds of ways, in other words, in which, in which a, a message that turns out to be offensive uh, is moderated publicly because of the offense, even though they said exactly what they meant to say, right? The person said exactly what they meant, but just when it turned out to be offensive, then they all go, oh, well, I didn't really mean that. Jesus, when they were offended, said, oh, it's worse than that. <laughs> it's way more offensive than you think it is. And let me spend the next 30 verses or so telling you. And that's really what the rest of John chapter 5 uh, does. They're outraged that he made himself equal with God. And Jesus goes on to explain just how equal with the Father he really is. And so I want to survey uh, just quickly this passage. It's a, there's a lot here to this passage. And I really am going to survey it fairly quickly that we just see um, kind of as a flyby here what it is that Jesus claims because we're going to notice that Jesus himself claimed to be one with the Father. And then secondly, that um, other witnesses testified that Jesus was one with the Father as well. Now, what, the, what the, uh, uh, the Jewish leaders were offended by, Jesus affirms, yes, indeed, that is my claim. And there's other witnesses to that fact too. And so let's look first at the fact that Jesus claimed, Jesus claimed to be one with the Father. Bear in mind what we're keeping in mind this whole time is misunderstandings about who Jesus is. All of the inadequate explanations, people who want a, a certain version of Jesus, but not who he, all he's revealed himself to be, who think he's a good moral teacher, but he's not more than that, who think he's a social justice warrior, or whatever it is. Again, sometimes the, 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 the idolatry is we make Jesus out to be the best, best version of me. Like I project the best version of me or what I think my, the ideal me is and, and project that sort of onto heaven and that's who I understand Jesus to be. And all those misunderstandings of Jesus are in the backdrop when we consider the ways in which he claimed to be one with the Father. Because he said, first of all, um, that he acts just like the Father. He acts just like the Father. Verse 19 says... So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And I can't do anything other than what the father does. The work of Jesus uh, was the work of the father. It is the same work. And what I'll say here, this takes us into territory about the nature of God that our, we can't get our minds around. 
There is just something our minds cannot comprehend because it takes us into the fact that, that God, that, that uh, there is one triune God. This is part of what is clearly revealed by the time we get to the end of the New Testament. We understood that the God revealed in the scriptures is one triune God, one God eternally existent in three persons. And it's, it's uh, leading us into that territory today where our mind can't really get around that sense of the distinction between three persons and yet the unity of the one Godhead, the oneness uh, of God, the equality, the um, co-equality and co-eternality of God, but that's what's at play here. In every work of God, the Father is working through the Son by the Holy Spirit. That might be one way of saying that. That the the work of God at any time is the Father's work, it's the Son's work, it's the Holy Spirit's work, even if it is predominantly the Holy Spirit doing that work or, or, or Christ doing that work, the Son. It is all the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we might, by the way, do ourselves a favor as a, as a regular part of our own prayer discipline that we pray, when we pray, that routinely we pray to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, rather than necessarily praying to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit or what have you. Now, uh, there's nothing Uh, inherently wrong about doing that. What I'm saying is we need help ourselves. Our feeble minds need help being reinforcing the idea that there is one God eternally existent in three persons. And even though we can't quite grasp it, we help ourselves if we remind ourselves as often as we pray that the Father's work is the Son's work is the Holy Spirit's work. Jesus said he acts just like the Father. Secondly, he said he's worthy of honor like the Father. Verse 22 and 23 says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. We'll come back to that idea too. But verse 23 says, That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That is a staggering claim right there. That'll get you killed. That'll get you crucified. I mean, did you catch, did you catch the, 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 the height of what he just said? The all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. This is why I said, when they said he was, by calling him... Uh, God, his father, he was making himself out to be equal with God. It was worse than that. He says, as the father is worthy of honor, the son is worthy of the same honor. All the worship and adoration that are owed to the father are owed to the son equally. We actually sang about this a bit in in, uh, one of those last songs. Jesus, only Jesus. But you think about all the things that, uh, that, the, that the scripture says and all the praises in the Psalms. Oh, Lord, you are great, clothed in splendor and majesty. You know, robed in light and so on. You're great and greatly to be praised. Let all the earth fear the Lord and all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That sort of honor and adoration is due to Jesus, the Son of God. He is not not worth 
uh, one bit less worship and praise than God the Father is. He's worthy of honor like the Father. Uh, third, he, Jesus said, he has and gives life like the Father. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Once again, another astonishing claim because there is something um, unique about the nature of God, that life, that he has life in himself. This is a claim the scripture makes. That, that even uh, man, the first man, uh, that God breathed life into him, right? Because there was life inherently in God and all the life that exists apart from him, he's given it. And Jesus says, he has life in himself too. The same life, because God the Father has given it to him. Uh, the one, by the way, as we um, prayed about and alluded to earlier, the reason we have hope uh, of eternal life in Jesus is because he has it to give. The life that is in God himself, in the Father himself, is in the Son himself. He has life and gives life just like the Father. And then fourth, Jesus said, he executes judgment just like the Father. Verses 27 through 29, he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I think there are lots of people probably who have um, sort of a loose familiarity with Jesus a loose familiarity with the Bible, who don't have any idea that the Bible says that about him. And they haven't, I mean, they haven't read it because if they had, they would know it says that about Jesus. But, but it's so many people have the misunderstanding of Jesus that he's, he's the nice forgiving Jesus, right? He's a good moral teacher and nice and kind and sort of the model of compassion toward other people. Um, that he's the one, he's so often quoted, like people love to quote, judge not lest you be judged, right? That this is, this is Jesus, this is the nice Jesus, he's non-judgmental and so forth. What does he say? He will judge uh, the living and the dead. Those who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out because the authority to execute judgment the Father has given entirely to the Son. He is good and gracious. He is that. He is Savior. And He is a source of uh, forgiveness that can't be measured. We can't outsend His grace. But He is also the one who will judge the world in righteousness. That which nobody would question about, uh, th nobody who has any understanding of uh, God as revealed in the scriptures, that, that, that God is a just God and that judgment is part of what he's revealed uh, righteousness requires, that judgment would be executed by Jesus himself. He is just like the Father. 
in all those respects. So Jesus claimed that. The other thing this uh, passage tells us is that other witnesses testified to that fact as well. Again, I'm uh, sort of scanning fairly briefly through all of this, but three witnesses um, that he mentions in uh, verses 30 through 47, in fact, all of them that the Jewish leaders deafened their ears to. They rejected, they didn't heed, uh, they didn't understand or just didn't listen to. But uh, one of them was John the Baptist, it says there in verse 33 to 35, I'm not going to read all that. But John had been the forerunner of Jesus. And John said, among other things, you remember um, in the opening uh, chapter of this gospel, that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That John even said about him, he had the authority to forgive sins. Some of John's disciples even followed Jesus. They had been following John up to that point, John the Baptist, and then they said, oh, here's the guy you've been telling us about. We're going to go follow him now. But the Jewish leaders did not do that. John was a witness that Jesus is who exactly he's saying now that he is. But they didn't heed that witness. Jesus said, if I, if I just say this myself, it's not true. But if others bear witness about me, then it is. And by the way, there are others who bore witness about me, John being one of them. And secondly, he says the works that he's done themselves bear witness. Verse 36. The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Do you remember Nicodemus kind of acknowledged this when he came to Jesus? You know, he said in John chapter 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless, uh, that you do unless God is with him. Like they, they, they recognized that, that the works Jesus did testified that the Father had sent him but they still would not come to him. But it was another witness that Jesus is who he says he is. And then the third one it mentions is the father himself. That the, that the father bears witness to Jesus, particularly through the scriptures. He says, you've never seen his form. You don't have his word in you. And by the way, the scriptures that you say you know so well, you search the scriptures, but they testify of me, but you don't even see it. You say you believe in Moses. Moses testified to me. You don't even hear him because you don't really believe what Moses taught. He says the father is, has borne witness about me, uh, but you haven't heard him. And that should be for them, these people uh, who know so much about the scriptures. That, that ought to be a, an authoritative voice. And it is, in some respect, authoritative and convincing voice. But they miss what it says about Jesus. So Jesus claimed that to be one with the Father. He's just like him in that the work he does is the Father's work. He's worthy of honor like the Father's worthy of it. He has life in him like the Father has. He executes judgment of the Father and others bear witness to the same um, effect. And so having seen that and heard that, it brings us back to uh, sort of the opening and these misunderstandings about Jesus. Because what do we do with that? What, what, what he's just said to us um, is, is apt to pass over our heads because it seems like some abstract, uh, interesting doctrine. For some reason, it's important for us to claim, but we don't know what we're supposed to do with that in response well, the first thing we're supposed to do is to understand rightly who Jesus is. 
Because that's the Jesus who we can place our faith in. That's the Jesus who we can find hope in. That's the Jesus who can actually provide eternal life for us. There are lots of um, inadequate Jesuses who can't do anything for you. And so in light of the fact that he claimed he was God, there are really only three possibilities. I mean, he says it right here. This is so so, um, undeniable what he's saying that a lot of liberal uh, uh, New Testament scholars basically find a way to discount John altogether. They basically say, no, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are more accurate testimonies of the uh, early apostles or early church about who Jesus was um, because John, that, that just came along later. They just find a way to dismiss it because it, say, it says too undeniably, unavoidably that Jesus says, I am one with the Father. So having made that claim, there's only three possibilities. One, that it's true. That Jesus is God. That's one possibility, that it's true. The second possibility is it's false, and he knows it. That's called lying. But that's another possibility, right? He said it clearly, and and, and, and it's possible that wasn't true, and he knows it's not true. The third possibility is it's false, but he believes it's true. That's called insanity or something along those lines. As C.S. Lewis put it, and others have uh, have made the same observation, but as as C.S. Lewis put it, he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. But there aren't uh, other options. In fact, I'll um, sort of provide this, a little bit of an extended quote to you um, from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity where he treats this Uh, subject. It says, let us not say I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You can fall at it or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left us uh, that option open to us. He did not intend to. Let me pause right there and say the world is full of a whole bunch of patronizing nonsense about who Jesus is. A whole bunch of patronizing nonsense. It's in every generation, in every culture, patronizing nonsense about who Jesus is. Don't listen to it. Listen to him, what he said about who he is. He goes on to say, Lewis says, now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. In another essay, uh, a few years later, Lewis elaborated on this, and he said, we may note in passing that he was never regarded 
as a mere moral teacher. I mean, consider this fact because this is so often the category the world wants to put him in. And it is so often the category that Christians are tempted to devolve into putting him into. That in some way, he's just a good guy. I have a hard time accepting some of the other things he said, but he's a good guy. He set a good example, uh, and, and we ought to be more like him in that respect. It is so often uh, the, the, the direction people uh, want to take him in the, in the modern world or in all the years since Jesus lived on the earth. And yet, as Lewis says, we may note in passing, he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects. Hatred, terror, adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. And right, when you think about the New Testament, you know exactly that that's true, right? He's standing toe-to-toe with those who hate him right now in this passage. He's answering them with this uh, terribly offensive uh, statement about who he is and his likeness of the Father. He's standing against that hatred right now. There were some whom he met with terror, who just said, get away from me. Who wanted him to leave. They did, really didn't know what to do with that kind of power and holiness. And then others that met with adoration. But there was no trace of people expressing mild approval. Now the question for us then, the relevance of all of that is either we're going to accept him as Lord or we're simply going to deceive ourselves. Because he is, he is neither a liar. A, a man can't be a good moral teacher and a fiendish liar. I mean, that would be, that would be the, the worst perpetuation of a lie uh, that anybody could commit. If he's neither liar nor lunatic... He must be Lord. And what are you and I going to do in response to that? Because it demands adoration. It demands adoration. He is owed the same honor that God the Father is owed. Everything that God says about how he is to be worshipped, that adoration is due to Jesus And I just know without having to survey anybody or do any interviews, there are a lot of American Christians who want to just keep uh, a mild approval of Jesus, have him uh, uh, sort of part of their lives. They go on about their routine uh, in the days and hours, even leading up to a time just like this. They come to worship, uh, celebrate, worship him, and go on about their own agenda their own priorities in life, mildly approving of Jesus, who really will have not much relevant uh, to their lives until crisis hits and then they'll cry out to him again. He is worthy of so much more than that, more than we can express, more than we can muster, but he is worthy of all that we can muster, all of the adoration that we can even fathom or imagine. He is do that. And the question for you and me is how will we respond to that claim? Will it be with awe and adoration and honor? 
or will it be with ambivalence and mild approval and some degree of dismissal? Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for a very clear revelation. We might, if we didn't have the gospel of John, we might be left wondering about some things about who Jesus is, but this out of the mouth of Jesus himself, out of the testimony of John the Baptist, out of the testimony of the works of Jesus and your word in the scriptures about Jesus, we are left with no doubt about who he is. And we're left with no doubt about what that demands of us. God, I pray that your spirit would stir the hearts of every one of us now and in the life that follows from now, that we would respond to him with the awe and adoration and honor that is due his name. Be glorified as you move in the lives of people today. In Christ's name, amen.